Have you ever been out on an adventure and thought, man, wouldn't it be great if I could do this for a living? Or have you dreamt of sharing those amazing experiences with others in real life? If you've ever thought about or just wished you could take the activities that you love and build a business around them, then this episode will give you a ton of food for thought. Chasing Epic is a mountain bike tour company offering multi-day ride experiences in the Southwest United States. Founder Steve Moken had a corporate job, but used his side hustle, action and adventure photography, to see how trips were run. That planted the seed, but his approach to building a tour company is unique and has a lot of lessons for the rest of us. Are you ready to go on a little trip? The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Steve, before you started doing the Chasing Epic mountain bike tours, what were you doing? Um, you know, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. So I was actually in corporate America for a while, uh, running planning logistics for a couple natural food companies out here in Boulder. Um, and then I was doing corporate marketing for a few tech startups. But kind of all the while I was doing that, I had a side gig um, where I was doing photography for a lot of outdoor gear companies um, adventure travel companies and a few of the ski resorts. And that's really what kind of led me into the adventure travel, travel world and starting up chasing Epic. You know, most of the photography I've done in the past, um, you know, like I mentioned, it's kind of a side gig to, you know, get free gear to, you know, make some money to pay for my, my expensive photography habit. Um, kind of towards the end of my professional or my corporate uh, gig, um, I started up switchback photography, which was basically, um, my way of kind of getting into the adventure travel world where I partnered with adventure travel companies and did photography for their clients. And so I traveled to places like the Grand Canyon, Croatia, um, a couple other international destinations. And really that's what kind of led me into Chasing Epic where I could kind of pick what I liked out of the adventure travel guides um, and, and the, the trips and leave out what I, I didn't like. And, you know, that intimate Kind of that in, intimate connection with the customers is um, kind of what allowed me to fine tune what I'm doing with Jason Epic. Right on. So, what type of customers did you have for the photography business, and do you still do that? Um, no. So, so first of all, I don't still do um, switchback photography. I, I essentially integrated that into Chasing Epic. So, um, with Chasing Epic, I lead you know, 90 to 95% of our trips. So I'll be on that trip, you know, riding with the customers and doing photography. So at the end of every trip, you know, it's not specifically mentioned on our website, but at the end of every trip, our, our customers will get, you know, dozens and dozens of pictures from their, you know, from their four days. So, you know, a specific, you know, portion of those are of them, you know, they're of the group, the other riders, the scenery, 
And it's really just a way to add value and kind of, you know, create memories and, and give them something tangible at the end of the trip that they can look back and say, hey, do you, you know, remember that ride on Gooseberry Mesa in St. George? You know, that was freaking awesome. Um, you know, so it, it essentially we I just built it in and, you know, I just love doing photography and I, I love taking my camera everywhere I go. Um, and so really, it's just a way for me to, you know, bring the customers a little bit more value and do, do something a little bit different. All right. Had you worked for any of the mountain bike tour companies or any other touring companies or anything like this beforehand? No, not directly. Um, just as a photographer going on the trips. So that was, you know, that was really my only, only connection and, and only real way of kind of seeing what's going on. And, um, you know, I kind of see it as plus and minus, you know, there's the downside of, you know, kind of having to put everything together without knowing, you know, specifically how a mountain bike tour is run but at the same time i came in with you know blank slate you know i could do whatever i wanted i you know my goal going in was essentially to run these trips like i would plan a vacation for my friends and i you know it, it's all focused on the riding you know we have a specific level you know pretty high level of lodging and meals you know it's it's ride eat drink hang out repeat um and you know there's no downtime there's no hanging out at the condo or the hotels um, and, and really, you know, I think that's kind of what sets us apart is, you know, that little touch of specialization or customization um, that, you know, you may not get with a company that runs, you know, 50 or 60 trips a year. You know, we're, we're pretty small. Um, overall, I think this year we'll end up with about 150 to 200 customers. And, and you know, that smaller level of, of company or the smaller size of company allows us to customize all of our trips. So there's you know, there's no set itineraries. You know, if you do a trip in Crested Butte this summer and then come back next summer, you're going to ride different trails. And so it, you know, it's really, I think it's a little bit different than what else, what you see, you know, in the marketplace. So before you started and you were doing photography for other touring companies, about how many trips did you go on? Um, I went on about half a dozen. Um, it was really, you know, it was essentially the second half of 2015. Um, so I did a couple of road bike trips internationally. I did, you know, some Grand Canyon trips. I partnered with a few fly fishing guiding companies, um, you know, floated the Snake River, you know, did some stuff locally around Boulder, um, you know, all multi-day trips where we were, you know, either camping or spending the night in, in hotels. Um, so it really kind of ran the full gamut of, you know, of what I was going to see and kind of what I had planned for chasing Epic. Um, and really, you know, in the back of my mind, I knew I was going to start a mountain bike tour company at some point. And so, you know, I was not only was I doing photography for the clients, but I was also, you know, making a checklist and, and kind of going through what I saw firsthand from those companies. So it wasn't just mountain bike companies. It's kind of no, all it sorts of events. Was, no, it was actually there were none, no, uh, no mountain bike companies. It was all other outdoor related activities. When you first started doing this, you first started doing photography for the other tours did you already know you wanted to start a tour company um yes and no um i think that was the ultimate that was the ultimate goal um you know i didn't know that back then that i was going to do it so quickly um i think part of the reason was that i you know i basically wanted i wanted to run my own business doing this down the road at some point um you know another factor was that you know, I think the market for what I was doing with switchback photography was there. Um, it just wasn't growing as quickly as I wanted to. And, and really it was something that was going to develop over time. Um, and, and I think, you know, knowing that there are other companies like Western spirit and rim tours and sacred rides, 
um, you know, the market for a mountain bike travel company is it's there, it's established, it's, you know, it's proven. And so um, it was kind of a combination of those two things where, you know, I wanted to do something transition into something that was proven. And then, um, you know, just it was a little slow to develop with switchback photography. So I, you know, it was a fairly seamless transition. Yeah, well, since you mentioned them, because I was going to ask, you know, you do have all of these competitors running trips, um, a lot of them in the same areas where you have trips. What made you think that you could, that there was still room for another player? Um, you know, I think I, two things. I think the market is big enough. Um, mountain biking in general is growing very quickly and there's always new people and new markets and new areas that I think are untapped and unreached by the existing players. Um, I think that at Chasing Epic, we do things a little bit differently. I think we target our, our rides and our trips towards more experienced riders looking for, um, you know, a combination of bucket list trails with, you know, kind of off the radar trails that you'll never hear of and your friends will never hear of, but are that are just as good as um, some of the bucket list rides. And so, you know, I think a combination of those two, you know, in addition, um, I don't need a lot of customers to run a successful business. You know, we don't, I don't have grand ideas of, of running, you know, a hundred to 200 trips a year with, you know, thousands of customers, you know, I'd like to keep it small. I want to keep the experience consistent. And I think, you know, as long as we're around 200 to 250 customers a year, um, you know, we'll be successful and, and kind of, that's the long-term vision of, of what we want to do with chasing Epic. And so, you know, sure there, you know, Western spirit is huge sacred rides. You know, they run trips all over the world, you know, H and I, uh, worldwide, they do the same thing. Um, but really, you know, I think Chasing Epic has a niche here in, in the United States in the Southwest. You know, it's, you know, Epic Rides in Crested Butte. We go to Moab now. We've done, you know, tons of trips to St. George. And, you know, those locations keep people coming back. It's it's a recipe for success. It's, you know, great people on great bikes on great trails. And, you know, everybody has an awesome time. Yeah, your website lists, I think, like five or six other tour leaders beside you. But you mentioned that you still lead like 90% of the rides you guys offer. So what are the rest of your team doing when you're on a ride? Um, so, so on every trip we have a dedicated trip leader. So depending on the size of the trip, you know, if we have say 10 or less, we'll have one trip leader. Um, if we have, you know, we did a trip with Ibis last year where we had 25 and we'll have multiple trip leaders. Um, basically those trip leaders are there to I mean, they're kind of there to make sure everyone's having a good time and make sure that everything runs smoothly. So, you know, coordinate the hotel check-in, the restaurant reservations, the catered meals, uh, make sure the guides show up on time, um, you know, make sure the guides are, you know, going on the right trails, um, make sure everyone's riding in the correct groups. Um, you know, really it's a combination of just overseeing the entire trip. Um, so, you know, all of my guides, or sorry, all of my trip leaders, they have full-time jobs. And so really, you know, chasing Epic is, um, you know, just complimentary to what they do because they love mountain biking and they love meeting new people. How do you find these people, the other tour leaders? Uh, most of them are close friends or acquaintances through, through close friends. Um, they've all, you know, they all have extensive mountain biking backgrounds, whether it's racing or, um, you know, most of them racing, you know, depending on who it is, it's cross country or enduro or downhill. Um, you know, they've all been riding for, you know, 10 plus years and, and they're all fun, awesome guys. And so it's, you know, it's just, again, it's kind of that recipe for success, making sure that there's great people leading these rides because we're already on great bikes and we're already on some of the best trails in the country. So it's, you know, it's just making sure that our customers have an, an awesome time.
Yeah. So how do you vet them? I, I guess you find them word of mouth and friends of friends and stuff, but like then how do you make sure that these people are the right people? Because I know if you talk to any mountain biker, they're like, wait, I can get paid to ride my mountain bike. They're like, hell yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, not everyone understands all the work involved in this. So Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've definitely had some people volunteer and, and offer their services that didn't understand what was included. Um, you know, most of these guys I've known for years and years. And, you know, I think the easiest way is just to, you know, have a beer and go ride with them. Um, you know, make sure that they're obviously capable on the trails, which they all are. Um, you know, just, just knowing their level of responsibility and respectfulness and, you know, kind of knowing that they're going to be there when I ask. And, you know, again, like I said earlier in the conversation, um, you know, I personally run, you know, 80 to 90% of the rides or the, the trips just because I love doing it. And, um, I love meeting new people and riding with these guys. Um, you know, it's, it's only a handful of trips a year where I'm, I'm depending on my, my trip leaders and, you know, so far so good. And, you know, I don't really expect anything less. Yeah. Why is that? What are, are you running simultaneous rides or like, why wouldn't you be on a ride? A uh, combination of a few things. If we have, you know, multiple trips in a weekend, if, you know, if for some reason we've got trips booked back to back to back and, you know, I just can't make it work or, you know, if, if for some reason, God forbid, I get tired of riding, which, you know, will never happen. Um, <laughs> You know, just mostly if, if we're double booked or if we've got overlapping trips and I just can't make both of them. All right. Do you try and avoid that in the scheduling or is it just you got to do something um, at certain times of the year? Yeah. I mean, I definitely try to avoid it with our scheduled trips. Um, the catch is that we offer private trips as well. And so on the private trips, you know, if we've got a group from Austin, Texas and a group from Portland, Oregon that both want to go ride the weekend of, you know, Veterans Day in November, um, I'm not going to tell them no. So, you know, we've got the resources to run both of those trips as long as they're not, you know, very large. Um, you know, we're going to run trips for our customers when they want to. And so, you know, if that happens, then, you know, that's an instance where I'll, I'll run one of my other trip leaders out there to, to run that trip and I'll run the other one. Right. So for the private trips, do the people contact you and say, hey, we want to ride this other trail, like maybe one you don't normally offer on or are they just they just want somebody to guide them around? the trails that you're already on, but at a time when you don't have a trip planned? Yeah, so the private trips are fully custom. Um, so most customers come to us and say, you know, for instance, we've got a group of eight guys that want to ride in, you know, Moab in October. You know, is this something you can do? And it doesn't have to be during one of our scheduled trips. It can be any time that, that works for them, which I think is, you know, kind of sets us apart. You know, we're one of the only companies that can do that, I think, because of the small size. Um, so it, it does have to be in one of our eight locations, but it can be any time of the year and we can customize just about any aspect of that trip for what those guys are looking for. That's cool. And are all, how long are the trips that you offer? Uh, they're typically four days. Um, so they're, I guess, you know, you could say they're a minimum of four days because really I think that's the, that's the sweet spot in kind of getting a feel for the riding in an area. Um, our private trips can go up to seven days. So you essentially just start with a four day trip and you can add days as desired. All right. So you kind of get in on day one and then it's three nights. So like three and a half days of riding or. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So the first day, you know, it'll, I don't want to call it an introductory ride, but it's more of like a warm up ride, you know, especially if we're going to go somewhere like Crested Butte where you're going, you know, from your elevation all the way up to 9,000 feet pretty quickly. Um, but they're, you know, kind of warm up rides on the first afternoon. We'll typically do about 10 to 12 miles. 
Um, second and third day or full day, we'll be out there on the bike all day long. And then the third day, we'll ride for three or four hours and typically end like early afternoon on that fourth day. Right on. And you guys provide all of the equipment? We do. Yeah. I mean, you know, minus the, the bike helmet and the shoes, you know, your personal equipment, but we, we provide bikes, you know, we take care of maintenance. We've got the extra tubes and, you know, chain links if something happens. Um, so really it's, you know, bring your bike shoes, your helmet, your camel back and you're good to go. All right. Do most customers use the bikes that you have or do they bring their own? Um, you know, I would say from, from the bookings we've had so far last year and, and up to this point this year, about 80 to 90% use our bikes. Um, you know, we work with some of the best bike companies in the industry and they're incredible bikes. And I think that's one of the big drawing, you know, one of the big draws for the customers is, you know, you get to come out to St. George and ride an Ibis Mojo three that's, you know, full carbon pimped out with XT dropper post. Um, you know, there's nothing not to like. Right. Yeah. So what is the arrangement with Ibis? Do they provide the bikes for you? Do you guys buy them? Um, no, so we work with IBIS. Um, so we work with IBIS and BMC a little bit differently. Um, IBIS, you know, provides us um, kind of demo pricing. Um, so we work with them. You know, we purchase the bikes. We take care of all the maintenance and everything. And every year we flip them and we sell all our, all our bikes at the end of the year. So, you know, so next January or February, we'll have a brand new fleet. Um, BMC is somewhat similar in that we get demo pricing um, kind of the same type of thing. We've got a little bit different arrangement with them. Um, we'll run some demos and guided rides here in the Boulder area through the course of the year. And then um, we actually will flip that fleet over in August or September. And so we'll sell all the bikes, you know, early fall. And then we'll have all the brand new 2018s um, at the end of the year for the last handful of rides. Hmm. Okay. When you said demo rides, like, do you as a side thing kind of run demo rides for those brands yep yeah not for ibis um, not for ibis yet, i should say um definitely for bmc so you know whether it's in conjunction with their you know regional rep or just something that i do you know on my own um we'll do you know like a group ride once a month here in the boulder area or we'll go down to you know to buffalo creek on a saturday afternoon and let people take them out for a demo ride um, and really that's just you know increasing exposure and helping get the word out for bmc um, and then we'll do a, a couple of, you know, offshoots where we're, we'll do a photo shoot with them for social media and marketing usage. And, you know, it's, I can, it's all considered work, but at the same time, mm -hmm. it, I love doing it. And so it, you know, it's tough to be considered work when it's something that I want to go do anyways. Yeah. Well, it seems like a nice opportunity for ancillary income on something that's so similar to what you're already doing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. On. Uh, so from a logistics standpoint, let's kind of back track to where you started um, when you first came up with the idea you said all right I'm gonna do this what were some of the first steps you had to take to set up this kind of business you know I think so the first thing I, I thought of that I think you know you can't really develop this kind of business without is the relationship with the guides so initially um, and you know I think you'd probably find something similar with if you talk to all the other companies that do this is you know you need dependable fun quality guides and when I first started you know, putting the business plan together and talking about running Chasing Epic, I I was thinking that I was going to hire all of my own guides, secure all of my own permits, and, you know, and really just go from there. And so I started calling the National Forest offices and um, talking with the BLM. And, you know, I quickly found out that permits for commercial guiding in some of the areas where we wanted to do trips was, was going to be next to impossible. Um, 
you know, some of these areas, you know, take Crested Butte, for instance, it's pretty saturated with existing guiding companies, whether it's mountain biking, hiking, equestrian, rafting, um, you know, kind of user days are all lumped in together. So I'm not just competing against mountain biking. Um, so once I, I realized that, you know, the permits were probably going to be the biggest obstacle to overcome, I kind of switched my business plan and, and changed the business model that I use. And so currently with Chasing Epic, we actually outsource or kind of subcontract the guiding piece to existing outfitters. And so, for instance, you know, in St. George, we work with a few guys that run a, a local guiding business. You know, it's pretty small. There's only a few of them. Um, but we work very closely with them to tie into Chasing Epic and you know, I love talking with those guys, their, you know, their eyes and feet on the ground. So if, you know, if there's an event on the gem trail during one of our trips, they'll know about it and recommend that we ride something else on Saturday. Um, so it, you know, it's a little bit different than I initially thought about. Um, but I think, you know, it works out very well now that it's, you know, we're in year two and the relationships with our local guides couldn't be any better. Oh huh, yeah. It seems like a good workaround. Yeah. You know, it's, there's pluses and minuses. Obviously they're not, they're not employees of Facing Epic. And, um, you know, I kind of have to check, you know, especially when we do a private group, you know, check and make sure there's availability. But other than that, it actually works out better because, you know, having someone that lives in town that works on the trails, um, you know, that knows what's going on with the local community, you know, that's better than having someone that's based in Boulder and drives to St. George to lead a ride. You know, yeah. I, I, I would prefer the, the former, you know, 10 times out of 10. All right. And then from an equipment standpoint, it seems like there's a decent chunk of startup capital needed. And, you know, you've got bikes and I guess tents, sleeping bags, cooking equipment, all that stuff, right? No. So, well, yes on the bikes, um, no on the cooking equipment. So that's one of the ways that we kind of differentiate from Western Spirit and Rim Tours and, you know, kind of everybody I mentioned before is that we don't camp. Um, so our trips are actually um, for lodging. From the lodging perspective, we actually do kind of boutique level hotels. So, you know, I think boutique might not be the right word, but smaller hotels in the areas we go to, um, or we'll rent out really nice condos or executive homes. And so I think that's, you know, kind of goes back to the way that I do trips and that, you know, my friends and I would go ride is, you know, I hate to say it, but I don't really like camping all that much. <laughs> and I would prefer to sleep in a bed and take a shower when I go ride 25 miles. And so that's how we run our trips is, you know, for instance, we've got a trip, um, private trip next month in, in uh, Moab with a group of eight guys and we're renting two really nice townhomes right outside of town. And so, you know, for that we'll do, you know, everyone will get their own bedroom. Um, you know, we'll do catered dinners at the condo. We'll, you know, we'll either make breakfast or we'll do, um, you know, kind of grab and go breakfast. So it's a little bit different experience than what you get. And, um, you know, I personally think, you know, it's kind of half a do half dozen, one, six of the other, you know, you get the experience on a camping trip of everybody kind of hanging around the campfire afterwards. But at the same time with ours, you know, we cater dinners. And so typically we're going to have, you know, say, you know, some Hawaiian food and, you know, a bunch of beers afterwards. We're just doing it in, you know, the living room of a, a townhome versus around the campfire. And so, you know, that part, it's a little bit different. Um, obviously, it's saved on the capital cost up front. But, you know, going back to the original question, the bikes are obviously a huge outlay because, you know, <laughs> they're definitely not cheap and there's a bunch of them. So it's, uh, you know, it's something that I had to work around or work, you know, on accomplishing when we started. Right. Well, so the outsourcing of the tour leaders, the group leaders, um, 
sort of kind of answers this question. I was going to ask, do you have to train them with like first aid and, and bicycle, bicycle maintenance and repair and stuff? Or sounds like these guys probably come to you already trained and all that. Yeah. So, um, so they're definitely, they're trained on, you know, maintenance repair, um, just kind of the way we run trips. Um, our tour leaders are not medically certified, but but our guides are. So we require all of our guides to be wilderness first responders at a minimum. And so on every trip, we'll have one or two guides riding with our customers. And then the trip leader is kind of there as the coordinator. Okay. And then is the trip leader typically you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, for instance, I'm, I'm wilderness first aid certified. And so, you know, a combination of that with the guides being wilderness first responder, you know, we can knock on wood, we can take care of just about anything that pops up on the trail. All right. So like now having heard all this from the, the outside looking in, it, it sounds like your business model is more one of just sort of coordination of a lot of moving pieces as opposed to ownership of the whole process. Um, which is cool. Like, I like that. It seems like it kind of makes it easier to start this type of business. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost a combination because, you know, I think we, we do outsource, you know, say the lodging and, um, you know, the subcontract with the guides, but at the same time, you know, I think putting together the itineraries, providing the bikes, you know, doing photography for the trips, um, you know, I would almost say it's like 50, 50. Um, so I think they're, you know, there's definitely a trade-off of, you know, not controlling the whole supply chain, if you will. But at the same time, I think it made launching the company, like you said, e- you know, easier in some respects, for sure. Yeah, cool. So it's, where, uh, you're based in Boulder, Colorado, right? Yep, just outside of Boulder. So how many bikes do you guys have in the fleet? Um, this year we have 18. And do you, you just have to transfer those to and fro for each event? Yeah. 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 So kind of going back to your logistics question a few minutes ago that, I mean, that's the biggest issue is making sure that the bikes, you know, the appropriate bikes are there for all of our trips. Um, And, you know, I guess you could say that's another reason why I run most of the trips is, you know, I want to make sure the bikes are there for the right customers and, um, you know, just making sure everything is in line um, for those trips. And so we've got, um, we work with a local, local dealership, um, right up the street here in Boulder, basically. Um, and we've got a, a brand new Ford Transit that's pretty pimped out, you know, with a Rocky Mount rack system that, you know, allows us to carry 12 or 13 bikes inside of the van. Um, and so we use those to transport to all of the, the locations for the trips. And then do the guide services that you contract with, do they have like shuttle vans to bring the people around to the trailheads? Yep. Yeah. So it's usually a combination depending on where we are. Um, so for instance, like Moab, St. George will always use shuttle vans, um, you know, places like Crested Butte, you know, you can ride to most of the trailheads. And so we'll use a combination of just, you know, riding from the hotel plus, you know, one or two shuttles if we want to go do something that's outside of town. Um, so, you know, basically the customer shows up and they don't have to touch their car, you know, for the rest of the trip. Cool. Uh, marketing. Uh, well, actually, let me, before that, so you mentioned a second ago, you did a ride for Ibis with about 25 people. Was that um, like a product launch type event for them or? No, it was, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the Yeti tribe gathering. Um, so it, it's basically a smaller, more intimate version of the Yeti tribe gathering. So it was all just Ibis fans and customers. Okay. Um, and we, we marketed the trip kind of similar to a, a Yeti event, um, obviously very unique to Ibis. 
Um, but like Scott Nickel came out, you know, the demo guy brought all their bikes. I brought all my IBIS bikes and we just, you know, kind of drank, told stories and rode all weekend in St. George. Nice. Have you looked at that market as like the corporate event type thing for these brands um, or launches as a, a growth opportunity or a adjacent opportunity? Um, definitely as an adjacent opportunity. So we, we did the IBIS one. Um, we actually have one or two more scheduled kind of assuming they're annually. So um, it was such such a success that Scott and I are actually doing one in August um, in Crested Butte this year, kind of the exact same thing except for four days. Um, we're, I'm in discussions with BMC to talk about doing one in um, October in St. George. And I think, you know, a handful of those will probably happen. I've, I've been talking to a couple other bike companies about doing something similar because, you know, it's essentially a turnkey event for them and they get so much interaction and, and brand awareness out of it that, you know, it's almost a no brainer for certain companies. Um, you know, the, I think the product launch thing definitely makes sense. And I would love to delve into that a little bit more. It's just, you know, whether it's lack of connections or, you know, just kind of lack of interest that hasn't really it hasn't really blossomed as much as the kind of the all immersive brand or bike events. Um, but it's something that I've definitely considered. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that doesn't happen more. I mean, like I know, uh, many years ago I went to a Santa Cruz launch that, uh, Western spirit led. So it's, you know, multi-day thing where we got to ride different bikes, but, um, yeah, it, it seems like it would take a lot of the stress off of the, the bike brand to use, somebody like you to just coordinate all the details and make sure the rides happen. And then they just show up with the bikes and the press. But Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think ultimately I'd like to do, you know, say four to six of those a year because, you know, to be honest, they are a ton of work. Um, you know, it's almost like the work increases exponentially when you go from a private group of 10 to a large group of 25 to 30, um, just because you're dealing with so many more guides, so many more shuttle vans, um, you know, I think the sweet spot for me and for my trip leaders is probably that half a dozen a year, um, especially at the size, you know, of Chasing Epic currently. Um, but I think, you know, if we pick and choose the right opportunities and the right companies, I think that that's definitely part of the business model going forward. Cool. Okay. So now marketing, um, how do you market this to the general consumer? You know, the, the group of friends that wants to go ride somewhere fun and then, going forward with that plan to reach out to the brands, how do you market that service to the bike brands or somebody like that? Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring up marketing. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned at the kind of the outset, I've got, you know, I've, I've actually got my MBA in marketing. I've got about eight years of experience in product marketing, corporate marketing and brand marketing. And, you know, going into Chasing Epic, I was thinking naively, now that I look back on it, that, you know, the majority of the work was going to be in planning the trips and, you know, figuring out logistics and, and doing everything, you know, for the trip itself. And I could essentially just put Chasing Epic out there and and I would sell itself. Um, you know, it's actually turned out to be 180 degree difference than what I what I initially expected. So a majority of my time is spent running marketing and promotions for the company because you know, once I set up the trips and, you know, the nice thing about Chasing Epic is that if someone books a trip in November, I can typically plan that months ahead. And so I don't have to, you know, kind of rush as the trip gets closer to get everything set up. And, um, you know, so I, like I said, I spend most of the time marketing Chasing Epic and, you know, it's been a combination. So when I first started out, I, you know, I hired a PR firm. We got, you know, quite a few articles in places like the LA Times and, 
um, New York Times, and I was actually published in Playboy, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> um, you know, but I think PR was good from the perspective of it helped me kind of gain some legitimacy and, and get the name out and, you know, kind of kind of appeal to some customers that may be reading, you know, the Sunday paper and, or, you know, cruising Playboy and, you know, it just happened to pop out because it sounded cool. But but really, you know, a majority of what we do now is targeting our customers and our, our potential clients in places where they're they're learning or reading about mountain biking already. Um, so our marketing budget is essentially non-existent. Um, you know, the only marketing that I pay for is our, our Facebook ads. And so we'll run, you know, just one or two ads a month, you know, to be upfront, we pay about 300, well, $55 a day. So $150 a month. So $1,800 a year in marketing expenses. Um, everything else is content marketing. It's email marketing. It's partner marketing. Um, so, you know, it's a combination of writing articles for folks like Crankjoy or, you know, the BMC website um, where they have they actually have stories from some of their partners and some of their riders. Um, it's getting articles uh, occasionally published on Pinkbike or MTBR, um, you know, sending out some really cool stuff on email to our, you know, to our distribution list. Um, you know, it, it's tough. It's, you know, you know how you probably know how the world of content marketing goes. It's you know, you're popular, you know, you're on the front page of Pink Bike or, you know, Bike Rumor for, God, you know, three hours and then it's gone. And, yeah. You know, it's a lot of work to get those 10,000 views. And then, you know, unless someone's searching for it, it's not there anymore. Um, you know, so it's really a combination of those things. I think, you know, building out as we go forward, you know, our hope is that referrals and word of mouth bring in a lot of customers and we're already seeing that. Um, and so, you know, my ultimate goal is, you know, spend zero for marketing, you know, I think Facebook ads actually bring quite a bit of value, but really just post on social media, you know, do the email marketing and then get the rest of our business from repeat customers, referrals and word of mouth. Yeah. And you guys are fairly young started. So 2016 was the first full season for you, right? Correct. Yep. And so you're really just getting warmed up for season two. And um, the first trip, it looks like is already sold out, which is good. Congratulations. Uh, but I also noticed, unless there was something pulled from your site, it's, it's uh, not until late April. Is that just because of the weather, or could you head further south and still get riding in earlier in the season? Um, it's mostly because of the weather. So, I mean, you could go down to Sedona in March and ride, um, but it you know it's tough. I don't want to take someone on a trip and have it be 50 and raining for three of the days. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to play it safe this year. You know, I think one of the one of the things that kind of plays into that, too, is that we've kind of shifted the business model from last year to this year. So, you know, last year when we started out naively, I said, hey, I'm going to put 25 dates on the calendar. I'm going to get 10 guys to sign up for each one of these and we're going to be a successful business. You know, from an outsider's perspective, you know, people are probably thinking you're a moron, you know, and, <laughs> you know, looking back, I probably was, you know, so. We had a couple trips last year where we had three people. We had, you know, we had four people here and there. And really, you know, small trips are awesome for our customers. They get a, a glimpse into what Chase and Epic is. But really, I think, you know, the the sweet spot for our trips is, you know, eight to 12 people on each one of these four-day trips. And so really from last year to this year, we've shifted. And, you know, if you look on our calendar, you'll see that really we only have five or six scheduled trips this year. And so, you know, you're saying five from, you know, 20 plus last year, you know, that's a pretty big decrease. 
but the plan, and you know, it, it's proving true already, is that a majority of our business is actually those private groups. And so, you know, the first trip you see on the calendar is late April, but we have multiple trips before that for private groups that want to come out and ride, you know, Sedona or Moab or you know, Fruta, for instance. So, so go ahead, finish. Um, you know, so there, you know, there's may there may only be five or six scheduled trips where, you know, a friend or sorry, a, a rider or a rider and his buddy can sign up. Um, but we have, you know, essentially twice as many that you don't see that, that we're running for private groups. And, you know, then you add in the, the bike company trips and everything. And, you know, we're probably on pace to do about 20 trips this year. Nice. So the ones that are scheduled, if you only get three or four people sign up, it's, do you just lose your ass on those or is it, you just don't make uh, as much? I just don't make nearly as much. Um, and, you know, and, and that's one of the tough things I think last year is that, you know, I decided from the outset that we weren't going to cancel trips because I don't want someone, you know, flying from Boston, you know, trying to make plans and saying, you know, and me emailing a, a month out saying, hey, we only have two people on this trip. We're going to cancel on you. Um, so last year, like I said, we ran trips with just a few people. And, you know, that's just I think that's just part of the startup process is, you know, getting the word out, you know, running the trips, you know, it helped experience wise, you know, we were able to do a few different things with small trips that we, you know, we wouldn't be able to do with 10 or 12 folks. Um, but, you know, I think the way that we get around it this year is only running five or six. So, you know, you can see we're sold out in St. George, our Moab trip is almost sold out. You know, I have no doubt that the, the Crested Butte trip in the summer and the fall will sell out based on the interest and the inquiries we've gotten. Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed recently is that, you know, mountain bikers are definitely procrastinators compared to some of the other trips I've had experience with. And that not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, typically we get people signing up for our trips about two or three months in advance versus, you know, six months to a year in advance. Yeah, two or three months seems like a long time to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I think as long as there are flights available, I think people kind of tend to wait a little bit longer. Um, just to make sure everything's lining up how they think it will. Right. The um, what do you cap the trips at? How many people? Um, private or sorry, the scheduled trips are are capped at twelve, and then our private trips, kind of depending on who it is and and what kind of resources we have, um, they're capped around twelve or fifteen, or you know some of the bigger bike company trips we can potentially do up to twenty five. Right. And is that cap just because that's the amount of manpower you have or to curate the experience? Like why? Uh, mostly for the experience perspective, perspective, I want to make sure that we're not hurting cats for four days. Um, you know, if we have 12 people, we'll have multiple guides, we'll split up into groups, you know, it's still a small enough group that, you know, by the end of the trip, you'll know everybody. Um, you know, the other, the other half of that is that typically we won't have enough bikes to cover a group of 20 anyways. Hmm. Um, so I think it kind of works in our favor. Yeah, how do you figure out like the size run of bikes that you need and what do you do if, you know, you've got people on the trip of drastically different capabilities? Um, so the bike, the sizing issue, you know, knock on wood, it's kind of taking care of itself. So um, with 18 bikes, we have enough overlap so that, you know, a group of 12 will typically have what's, what everybody wants. Um, you know, I'll be up front, not you know, 100% of the time, they may not get the bike that they want or their first choice. Um, that said, all our bikes kick ass. So, <laughs> you know, if you don't get the HD3 and you're stuck on a Mojo 3, I'm pretty sure you're still going to love it. Um, so, you know, that 
we've had a couple customers that are, you know, we're just too short or we're too tall for the bikes we have. So we'll, we'll work with the local bike shops and demo a bike for them for the weekend or for the trip. Cool. Um, so, you know, we've, we haven't had a single issue from that perspective. Um, you know, going on the ability thing, um, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of two riders last year out of, you know, almost a hundred that were in over their heads. Um, so I, you know, I think the way around that is, and what we, you know, what I think we do pretty successfully is that, um, you know, we make it very clear from our riding materials and our website, kind of what you need to enjoy yourself on our trip. And, you know, we cater to experienced riders, you know, we definitely welcome beginners, but beginners are, you know, should only come out on a private trip. Um, because typically, you know, I would say the average ability level on our scheduled trips is probably intermediate plus, um, and so, you know, bigger groups, we can split into, like I said, with two guides, we'll split into groups based on ability level or, you know, kind of what they're, what they want distance wise. You know, if someone wants to do a, a 30 mile ride versus, you know, drop off after 20, we have that ability to do that. Um, and so, you know, sure people get tired and we've had a few people, you know, pretty worn out after four days of riding a place like Sedona or Moab, but you know, that's what they come out for. And, um, you know, we take care of everyone and we take everyone's considerations into, you know, into effect when we're, we're kind of planning out the itineraries. All right. So for growth, you said you were looking for, um, kind of word of mouth and maybe repeat customers and stuff. Do you, are you already having people sign up again for this year that were with you last year? Yeah. So I actually midway through last year, I actually already had return customers. Um, we've got folks coming this spring for their third trip already. Nice. Um, and we've had multiple multiple customers from last year sign up for trips later this year already as well. Now, do you offer some kind of incentive to do that? Cause I, you know, like some events or things you go on, like, Oh my God, cruise ships are the worst, you know, if, Hey, if you sign up for your next cruise while you're on board, we'll knock thousand dollars off the cost. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you guys do those kinds of things to get people to re up pretty quickly or? Yep. We've got a loyalty discount. So once you're, you know, kind of say once you're a chasing Epic customer, you're always a chasing Epic customer. Um, we do a 10% discount on any trip. Um, and that actually applies for private trips. So if one of our customers comes on a trip, you know, they get the 10% discount next year, they decide to do a private trip with, you know, eight of their friends, all of those guys get 10% off as well. Nice. And then like, I'm looking at the pricing, it kind of looks like all the trips are 1250 per person. So 1,250 per person for these four day trips. Is that the same pricing you use for the private trips? No, the private trips are a little bit more just because they're fully customized. Um, so the, the trips are, uh, 1495, so approximately $250 more. Um, but we do a lot more for those customers as well. So, you know, we can kind of take in their lodging, um, requests. We can, you know, put together like an apres beer tasting, you know, we can go to a whiskey bar in Crested Butte. Um, we include custom mountain bike jerseys from one of our partners, Klum. Um, and so, you know, all six guys, you know, for instance, in Moab, when they show up, they're going to have a a pretty awesome mountain bike jersey waiting for them. Cool. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of special touches and a lot of things that we do, a little, you know, above and beyond a standard trip um, that, you know, that kind of warrant that price increase. Um, you know, from a business perspective, it's also required because, you know, if you bring five guys on a private trip, we don't have the ability to market that trip to others. And so really our, our profit from that trip is capped and so just to make up for that difference, we need to charge a little bit more. Yeah. What's the minimum that you can bring for a private trip? The minimum is five. Okay. And the max is like 10 to 12, you said? Yeah. You know, it really just depends on the circumstance and what we have available. 
Um, so typically it's 12 to 15. Um, in special instances, we can accommodate, you know, 20 or more um, if we have a little bit more time. All right. Okay. So you mentioned that Clume is a partner. And, you know, for those listening that aren't into bike stuff, they make, you know, baggy mountain bike shorts, jerseys, basically clothing. Um, how did that partnership come about? Like, what are the details of that? And then who, what other brands do you guys have as partners? Um, so with Clume specifically, I was actually connected. They're a local Boulder business. So they've been in, they're based out of Switzerland, um, but they are um, kind of making inroads into the U.S. market. And they're based in Boulder, you know, less than 10 minutes from my house. Um, and so I was actually introduced to them through the director of the Boulder Mountain Bike Alliance, which is our local IMBA chapter. Um, and I started talking with them last spring and, you know, they're awesome guys. We're actually putting together group rides with them um, starting next month. Um, and essentially they, they work with us with custom jerseys. They outfit our trip leaders with, you know, our own chasing Epic jerseys. Um, and then we, you know, we just kind of work together wherever, it, wherever the opportunity arises. Um, you know, we've got a decent partner network. We work with Rocky Mounts, which is also another local company. Um, you know, they helped outfit our, our chasing Epic transit van. Um, we work with Deuter, which is the backpack company. Um, they're, right up the street, you know, less than five minutes away in Longmont, which is just north of Boulder. Um, they provide backpacks for all of our trip leaders. And then, um, you know, occasionally we'll have giveaways for private trips and like the IBIS trip and some of the bike company trips. Um, you know, obviously BMC and IBIS are our, our bike partners. Um, and then we've just got a handful of other ones that we work, you know, in some, some capacity, you know, I think from a business perspective, you know, in, so initially my idea working with, um, you know, established existing bike companies is that I needed to give Chasing Epic legitimacy and I needed to show customers, you know, hey, if Rocky Mounts and Stan's no tubes are working with, the, you know, this company, then they must be legitimate. Um, you know, they must know what they're doing. And, you know, I, I had personal connections or kind of one off connections with all these companies going in. Um, and so that's how a lot of the, the relationships started. Um, but really, I mean, I, I like to provide my partners with more value than they're getting or that, that they're providing me because I want to keep them happy and I want to make sure these relationships last. Well, it seems like a good marketing play on their part. You know, if somebody comes there and rides an Ibis or, uh, you know, whatever tires you guys they're on and stuff and they like it, you know, chances are they're going to go back and have that in their head the next time they upgrade a part or a bike. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's the, <clears throat> the obvious benefit to them. I think there are also a lot of other ones, um, you know, going back to the photography thing, I, I provide most of my partners with high end content. So, you know, we go out and ride and, you know, I can give Deuter a couple shots, you know, of their backpacks on our customers or our trip leaders. You know, I can send BMC pictures of, you know, clients riding the BMC trail Fox and Moab. I can, was that part you know, of the pitch when you approach them? Like does Deuter yep. and Clum give you the product for free? Because you're uh, depending them- on the re- depending on the relationship, but typically yes. Um, and then I provide them with you know marketing opportunities and content. Um, you know, like I said, I I can typically I write articles for a handful of different websites and magazines, and you know I'll make sure to you know drop some names and include them in the the pictures that I send over there. Um, so it's really you know kind of a there's no there's no endpoint or no you know requirement to most of our partnerships. It's mostly the fact that I want to make sure they're happy and I love their product and, you know, I'm happy with chasing Epic. All right. So 
in addition to anything that we've mentioned, what were some of the challenges that you faced starting up or growing to this point? Um, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier. I think marketing and promotion are the biggest challenge I have. Um, you know, I think, you know, knock on wood, I would say 100%, if not damn near close of our, our customers have been, you know, more than happy with the trip that they've been on and their experience with Chasing Epic. And so I think, you know, we'll continuously upgrade and kind of fine tune the experience and, you know, make it as, as good as possible. But it's just, it's really just finding those customers. It's finding, you know, the right customers. Um, you know, typically they're not in Colorado, they're not in New Mexico or, or Utah. It's, you know, folks in California or Texas or the Southeast or the Midwest that, you know, they've heard about Moab for years and they, you know, they finally want to pull the trigger and come out and ride. And, you know, I, I, I don't think any of them have been disappointed. And, you know, it's just making sure that they're happy. You know, they go back and tell all their friends or, you know, they bring a group the next year. And, you know, we're already starting to see that with, with repeat bookings, you know, on both scheduled trips and private group trips this year. Right on. What, uh, for somebody that wanted to start a similar type of business, maybe in a different space, you know, fishing or something, what, what are a couple of pieces of advice you'd give them? Um, you know, I think number one is focus on the experience. You know, I think do everything you can on the back end to make sure that the front end is, I think, as seamless, as professional and as fun as possible. Because a lot of the clients that go on these types of trips are looking for an experience that, you know, they don't have to work towards. They can just enjoy themselves for four days or for a week or whatever. Um, and so really make sure everything is in a line and kind of, you know, logistically everything is tied up before the trip. So you're not rushing or you're not panicking or, you know, you kind of have a second option if the first option doesn't happen. You know, if, if it rains on a mountain bike trip, what do you do? Um, you know, for instance, we've gone hiking in St. George. We've driven 45 minutes to Gunnison on one of our Crested Butte trips to ride Hartman Rocks. Um, you know, and the customers don't even notice that something was wrong to start. Yeah. So what are some of the tools or, or processes you use to do that? You just have like a giant checklist or something else? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I literally have everything in Google Documents on my computer and, you know, I've got a checklist. I've got notes on, you know, every trip. You know, I typically, you know, so for instance, the process when you book a trip is, you know, within 24 hours, you'll get a confirmation email with a rider questionnaire, a bunch of information. And, you know, I would say over half of our customers, you know, send me an email and say, hey, I was thinking about this. What do you think? Or, you know, what do you think about departing on this flight? Um, and so really, I've got a rapport set with most of our customers via email or over the phone before I even meet them in person. Um, and I kind of get a feel for what they like and, you know, what kind of riding they're looking for and the overall experience and and really just building those into the trips that we have. Um, you know, it, it makes it that much easier. Um, but, you know, we've got, like I said, we've got our checklist. You know, I know which guides want to, you know, need a month's notice versus a week's notice on rides. Um, so it's really just having those relationships and and, you know, just figuring that stuff out ahead of time. So you're not worrying about it when it happens. Yeah. In terms of flexibility, like say, let's just say Crested Butte, for example, you go there, you know, you might be doing four days of riding, but like how many trail options do you guys have in your pocket so that if you get there and the group is not as technically adept as you thought, like, do you have other options you can shift to and still give them four days of non-repeated riding? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. We will never ride the same trail twice on a trip. Um, yeah, I mean, for instance, in Crested Butte, I think like the valley between Crested Butte and Gunnison, there's 750 miles of trail. And so, you know, we've got tons and tons of options there. 
um, you know, a place like Fruta or, or, you know, potentially St. George, I think, you know, limited is a relative term, but, you know, limited to Crested Butte were a little bit more so, you know, just because there's a few main riding options. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got backup plans for backup plans. Nice. Um, you know, so typically how it works is about a week ahead of, you know, your private or scheduled trip, you'll get an email with a, you know, kind of a, a planned itinerary, but they're always flexible. Um, you know, if the riders in a private group don't like, or, you know, want to try something else on the fourth day, or if, you know, it turns out everybody is just beat and they can't handle 15 miles and they want to do seven, then, you know, we can easily adjust. Cool. All right. So I got to ask uh, one stupid techie question, just because I'm curious, but like what uh, platform did you guys build your website off of? Um, it's based on WordPress. Oh, okay. So then so, what, yeah, did you, what, what did you integrate for the ordering? Or... Uh, so it's, it's WordPress with a WooCommerce integration. Uh, okay. Gotcha. And then I've got uh, a couple different payment gateways set up. I, I actually went through hell about two weeks ago <laughs> because I use PayHub um, for our payment gateway. And their system, something happened where they upgraded their server, or retrograded their server, and it just destroyed everything. I couldn't take payments for a week. Uh. And so I actually dropped PayHub and I signed up with Authorize.net. And so not that anyone would would ever notice, but um, you know, I kind of had to send a few emails to customers because I was seeing nonstop failed orders. Um, but everything is super smooth now, and you know, I'm. It kind of goes back to my marketing background. I've I've got quite a bit of experience building kind of micro sites and websites for some of the companies I work used to work for, and so when I built that, I I knew I wanted to use WordPress. I knew I wanted to make or use an existing template just to make it a little bit easier, but. Um, I worked with a local designer here in, in Denver and kind of laid out what I wanted to see, you know, the overall style. And then I kind of let them, you know, take control of look and feel and graphics and all that. All right. So why did you choose WordPress with the WooCommerce as opposed to like a all-in-one like Shopify or something? Um, I think the flexibility of WordPress and, and how I wanted it to look overall, I think that was probably the easiest just from a, you know, not really, I guess customization perspective is probably how I would say it, but it's not fully customized, obviously. Um, you know, down the road, I would love to build something that is fully customized just because that's what I've done in the past. But those websites are so expensive that I don't see it happening anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then what was the, well, when the first customer signed up and you got your first order in, was it somebody you knew or was it just like you flick the switch on and then one day you got an email and you're like, yes. Like, yeah, I flipped the switch on and then months later I got an email. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, I actually received, I was, it's funny, I was, my first order last year came through when I was, when my wife and I were in Iceland almost exactly a year ago. Um, yeah, we, I mean, I, I launched the website uh, December, late December of 2015 and we got our first order, um, like I said, almost exactly a year ago today um, for, I think it was one of the May St. St. George trips. Nice. So, so were you getting nervous? I mean, a couple of months. Oh, yeah. In order. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I actually, I mean, I had trips planned uh, last year, kind of going back to what I was saying. I had trips planned really beginning in late March that I had to cancel because no one signed up, huh. um, you know, and that kind of made the decision, you know, kind of built on the decision that I was talking about earlier about going to, you know, more of a private trip model. Um, but yeah, I mean, I canceled, I want to say I canceled four or five trips last year, um, because no one signed up, which, you know, I wasn't thinking about when I put them on the calendar, but I mean, it's totally realistic for a new company. Um, you know, I launched in December and 
people are starting to make, you know, vacation plans and writing plans soon thereafter. So, you know, a lot of people hadn't even heard of Chasing Epic at that point. All right. So what did you do to get that word out beginning then? Was it just still like Facebook ads and stuff to... Yeah, back then, uh, you know, a year ago or so, a little more than a year ago, it, it was Facebook ads. It was, um, you know, trying to get articles published on some of the big magazines mm. um, or online websites. Um, I did a few print ads and, um, you know, some of the smaller magazines like Mountain Flyer. I ran a couple of contests where I gave away trips or gave away gear to get email addresses. Um, you know, really anything I could do without spending a ton of money because I I didn't have a ton of money to spend. And as a marketing guy, I hate paying for marketing. Uh, so it was, you know, kind of doing everything I could. There's a lot of people that hate paying for marketing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right on, man. All right. Well, so where can people find you? It's chasingepicmtb.com. Where else? Yeah. I mean, really, the website is our main presence. So like you said, chasingepicmtb.com. Um, we've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram account. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty consistent posting some pretty cool stuff on both of those. Um, and you know, and really we're going to be out on the trails all over the place this year. So if you see us, you know, it's hard to miss our chasing Epic band, you know, stop by and say hi. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get a bunch of guys on a private trip and, uh, you know, can continue to grow. All right. I'm in. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Right, see ya. What I found most interesting was Steve's use of existing guides to create his trips. This helped him quickly overcome one of the biggest and potentially most expensive hurdles while also gaining instant local knowledge. By contracting with existing outfitters, he's able to offer rides in multiple states and focus on creating the overall experience rather than learning the trails in remote areas. Another interesting aspect is how they've differentiated themselves by using upscale lodging rather than camping and catering the food rather than cooking out. This creates more of a premium experience that will appeal to a different clientele than the tour companies that set up camp and grill out in the desert. Not that one is better than the other, but it's a point of differentiation that allows them to target a different subset of the mountain biker population. So, something to think about. How can you differentiate your offering to appeal to an underserved customer base? Another important idea was using brand name equipment partnerships to boost the credibility of Chasing Epic by association. Check out links, images, and more in the show notes at thebuildcycle.com. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, could you hit that subscribe button today? It really helps me grow this. And one more quick favor. If you like what you're hearing, could you tell two friends about us? Thanks a ton. Hit us up on social media if you'd like to connect. And remember to enjoy this trip.